Welcome to OncoPharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of OncoPharm, ETSU's Bill Gadd College of Pharmacy. Uh, got a couple updates to share today. The first we'll start with, because maybe it's the splashiest, although not the most important update, uh, was a publication um, in today's and this week's edition of the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, Improved Outcomes with Enzalutamide and Biochemically Recurrent Prostate Cancer, October 19, 2023. Improved outcomes. Very vague. What, is it? what are the outcomes? Improved outcomes. Um, so I'm going to talk about this study. This is a, uh, a randomized controlled trial in, in men with high-risk um, biochemical recurrent prostate cancer. Uh, so the more adjectives you have to this, the, the nichier this gets. So biochemical recurrent prostate cancer. These are men who have had their prostate removed because of prostate cancer or radiation. And after that surgery, their PSA goes down to like nothing. Or if they've had radiation, their, their PSA goes down to a, a new baseline. Now, that PSA starts to rise so high, the only reason that that would rise so high is either the prostate's getting bigger, if you've had radiation, or there's more cancer that has, uh, that has come back or has grown to the point that now it's producing PSA. So PSA, prostate-specific antigen, the only two marker that is truly specific for the tissue, that host tissue in the prostate. So if you've had a prostatectomy and you have no prostate, and then your PSA, which is undetectable, goes up, it means that there's prostate cancer somewhere there, okay? And if you've had radiation and the PSA goes up, it could mean you've had some benign P prostatic hypertrophy or there's progression of prostate cancer. The prostate cancer uh, is back. So this is looking um, at PSA doubling time. That's what is considered high risk. So the PSA doubles in nine months is considered high risk. And they talk about in the introduction how scary this is, uh, which I'm sure it is scary to patients. But a PSA doubling time of less than three months these patients have a median survival of six years. Median survival of six years uh, with biochemical recurrence if that PSA doubling time is less than three months. For inclusion here, these men have a PSA doubling time of less than nine months. And that PSA baseline level uh, has to be um, below two if they had received radiation for primary treatment of the prostate cancer or two above one if they'd had a prostatectomy. They also had to have a serum testosterone level of at least 150, which is kind of low. What is really unique about this study, all right, so these men, all right, they have prostate cancer back somewhere. Uh, it's still small enough, you can't see it. There are arguments to wait and preserve quality of life versus treating now aggressively. But what is really interesting here is they're either getting luprolide monotherapy, which is, you know, what you would have considered 20 years ago in these men. You could have watched and waited and see if it, you know, if the PSA doubling time continues to be nine months, you might be able to wait a couple years. If the PSA doubling time goes from nine months and then it doubles a month later, you know, now this disease is starting to take off and you need to do something. So either luprolide monotherapy, luprolide plus enzalutamide, or enzalutamide monotherapy. Enzalutamide currently only FDA approved in combination with luprolide or if you've had an orchiectomy. You need, you know, androgen deprivation um, in addition to using uh, or, or with using enzalutamide. And that's really a mantra throughout treating prostate cancer is you're always doing androgen deprivation therapy. So I was, um, 
I was puzzled, I was intrigued to see an enzalutamide monotherapy, and much to my surprise, there are monotherapy studies of enzalutamide phase two studies almost 10 years ago back in 2014. Not something that has been pursued uh, by whoever makes this drug, uh, and not something that's gone forward, all right? So these men, high-risk biochemical, the number says the prostate cancer is back in the lab, uh, and they're getting enzalutamide or luprolide or the combination. And our primary endpoint here is metastasis-free survival. That's the outcome they're talking about, which is kind of like progression-free survival, except, you know, the, the PSA can keep going up and up and up. It's, is there a meta metastatic lesion or do they die? That's our endpoint here, metastasis-free survival. All right, um, and then the key second, that's the primary endpoint, right? is metastasis-free survival in combo group versus luprolide alone. And then a key secondary endpoint is the metastasis-free survival in the enzalutamide monotherapy versus luprolide alone. There are some other key secondary endpoints, including overall survival, um, functional assessment of cancer therapy, prostate, it's like a patient report outcome, quality of life, fact P, which we'll come back to. Um, they've got a hierarchical testing here. When we look at our, our baseline demographics, the median age for these guys is 69 and 70. I point that out um, because the median life expectancy in the U.S., according to the CDC, is 73 years. Um, now, if you just Google this, you get a 78 number from 2020. Now, that has gone down with COVID, with opioid epidemic in this country. Um, so, currently, as of 2022, the median life expectancy for males is 73. These guys are 69 or 70 at baseline. Uh, you know, 83% of these uh, men were white, 40% um, roughly in North America, 35, 40% in Europe, and then the rest from the rest of the world. Um, those are kind of the key things here. Um, we, we don't have a report here what the time frame is from when the biochemical recurrence happened. You know, if it was a year, that would seem to be a greater risk than if it had been 10 years. I, I, unless I've missed it, uh, it seems crazy that that is not reported. We do have a median PSA doubling time of 4.6 versus five, boy, versus five months. That's somewhat dependent on how often the urologist or primary care doctor is doing a PSA test. Um, you know, if you do it every roughly three months, it might be numerically actually longer than three months and fall into a different category here and how they, they define that. And that's sort of the uh, the, the the danger you always have in these time to event analyses, or whenever you are looking at uh, other uh, these sort of endpoints that are based on time, you know, if you do your your scan exactly every three months, it's not going to be done exactly every three months. If we look at our our, our top line results here, here's the the median, um, or, or sorry, the the five year, not median, the five year. Um, metastasis-free survival in the combo group enzalutamide luprolide. 87.3% are alive without metastatic disease in the combo group 60 months later, five years. That is only 71.4% in luprolide. Big difference there, right? Statistically significant, um, if you are looking at enzalutamide monotherapy versus luprolide, it's 80% versus 71%. So they don't have a statistical comparison here. But you basically have about a 16-point difference, 17-point um, difference between the combo group and luprolide. And then enzalutamide monotherapy is right in the middle there. Um, so I'm not sure if they are trying to create a market for enzalutamide monotherapy, if they're going to try to get an approval for enzalutamide monotherapy um, in, instead of with combination. I, you know, I don't see a, a, uh, an efficacy advantage here. Um, um, and uh, I'll point out that 
the, the side effect profile here is, is somewhat wild to me. Uh, you see a lot more hot flashes in the combination group. 69% versus 57% with Luprolyolone versus just 22% with Enzalutide monotherapy. 21% falls in combo group versus 15, 16% with either monotherapy group. Gynecomastia, this is crazy, gynecomastia 8% with a combination, 9% with Luprolyolone, 45% with enzalutamide monotherapy, nipple pain 15% with enzalutamide monotherapy, breast tenderness 14% with enzalutamide. Those numbers are much smaller for the combination group. Um, I'm going to uh, critique the writing here. Uh, in the discussion, they talk about the, uh, you know, the benefit in uh, metastasis-free survival, and quote, with no worsening in the time to decline in FACT-P total scores. They don't give us a baseline FACT-P total score. Uh, they don't tell us what the, what the decline in FACT-P total score is or increase. Um, all that we have here is a, um, is a forest plot um, of of secondary points, and we see that the hazard ratio for first deterioration, this is time to a 10-point decrease in fact P score, which is a 39-item um, uh, uh, scoring tool with one with a with a Likert scale of one to five. So you could have a low score of 39, a high score of 195. So it's a 10-point decline in that, which seems somewhat sensitive to see that. Um, so both of these hazard ratios and 95% confidence trend towards. Luprolyte performing better with quality of life. Hazard ratio of 1.14, 95% confidence, it'll 0.95 to 1.36. Uh, if you're just looking at combo versus Luprolyte, if you're looking at enzalutamide versus Luprolyte, um, that trend uh, is even stronger in favor of Luprolyte. Hazard ratio 1.17, 95% confidence, 0.98 to 1.39. So if they wrote this the way they write other endpoints that are almost significant, they would say with a trend towards worsening a fact P score in the enzalutamide groups compared to just um, compared to just the uh, the monotherapy. And when you look at the the side effects, it seems that a lot of that has to uh, perhaps do with um, it's not because of more hot flashes in enzalutamide arm, uh, but potentially more gynecomastia, monotherapy, nipple pain, breast tenderness. It doesn't really come out in the side effect profile um, why, for example, the combination group, you know, there are more hot flashes there and falls, but it's, um, you know, that data are not reported in the primary uh, study. And that quality of life data, I think, is really important here because while they, there is a trend towards improvement in overall survival in the combination group uh, compared to luprolyte monotherapy, again, these guys are already 70, and the median life expectancy is 73, even 78 years if we're being, uh, if we're being hopeful um, just with uh, the, the entire population of men here in the U.S. You know, you've you got to use a little common sense here when you're looking at metastasis-free survival with hormone-sensitive prostate cancer, when it be when it is metastatic, it responds really well to hormonal therapy and to skeletal-related event-targeted uh, prevention strategy. So it's a disease that can be treated relatively well. Um, you know, their overall survival date is immature. Um, it was not statistically significant. This analysis, it will be. And of course, you, you have to wonder, what did the folks in the Luprolide group get? Um, before I move on, another interesting part about this study is, you know, they're randomized to one of these three uh, hormonal strategies. And then at 37 weeks, if the PSA had gone down really low, they could they would stop treatment until the PSA rose above like five and they restarted treatment 
um, which is which is uh, you know appropriate for for even though they're high risk biochemical recurrence, they're still low risk in the prostate cancer realm compared compared to somebody with metastatic disease or somebody with castration uh, or hormone insensitive disease. Okay, moving on to some FDA approval updates. Um, on October 13th, FDA approved nivolumab for adjuvant treatment in metastatic or adjuvant treatment of melanoma, not metastatic if it's adjuvant, but adjuvant treatment of melanoma. That's not new. What is new is that these are patients with stage 2B or 3 disease. Okay, so this is uh, not just stage 3 disease, but stage 2B and 2C uh, melanoma. Pembrolizumab has almost the exact same approval, uh, or does have the exact same approval already. Um, so this would be our stage 2B patients would be a lesion that is two to four millimeters with ulceration or more than four millimeters without ulceration. Stage 3C is more than four uh, without ulceration or with ulceration. So uh, anything more than four millimeters, you know, we, we have adjuvant um, melanoma, uh, either Pembra or Nevo, or more than two millimeters with ulceration, there's adjuvant Pembra here. And this uh, approval is based on, uh, I believe it's relapse-free survival. Yeah, relapse-free survival. Um, Promising, you know, makes a lot of sense uh, in this population. No issues with that. Um, on October 16th, FDA approved neoadjuvant slash adjuvant Pembro for resectable non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, nivolumab already has the same approval based on Checkmate 816, uh, or a similar approval based on Checkmate 816. It's not the same. Uh, Checkmate 816 nivolumab's approval is neoadjuvant uh, only with uh, cisplatin-based chemo. This is based off of Keynote 671. This is neoadjuvant Pembro and chemo followed by adjuvant Pembro. Um, and that gets an FDA approved. I talked about uh, um, maybe a month ago about the press release from the Nivellumab folks saying that they had uh, overall survival benefit for Checkmate 77T. That is neoadjuvant and adjuvant Nivellumab. We should get more, um, uh, you know, we should get the, the public, or at least more data from both of these studies at ESMO coming up over the weekend and early next week, which will be the focus of, of next week's podcast. And, you know, I've been trying to think about how to put, you know, this, this trend towards moving neoadjuvant immune checkpoint inhibitor and non-small cell lung cancer up front. Because um, we know the, the you know, they've, they've really changed the natural history of disease in metastatic non-small cell lung cancer by using them in the metastatic setting and then moving in the, in the new adjuvant setting. What is the, you know, obviously, you know, are we curing more people? That's the, that's the ultimate question. And we haven't had a site design that looks at what we normally would have done for these people, uh, which would be resection, then adjuvant chemo. I'm not sure that makes a difference, but we're, the, the rubber meets the road here. And there's a wonderful, um, you know, editorial uh, written by uh, by Jack West that really, I, I think, summarized this well, and I'll, I'll try to link to this in the show notes. And really, a lot of it, what it boils down to are some of these stage 3B or N2 patients, where they have nodes in, in two different spots, and are they really resectable? And that resectability a lot of times comes down to the talent of the surgeon, the experience of the surgeon, as well as can this patient tolerate surgery because they've been smoking their whole life and they've got bad lungs that will be left. And we don't always know if they're going to be resectable when you start it. And we see this a lot in, in some of our borderline resectable pancreatic cancer patients. And, you know, so you, you give them, you know, full furanox, hoping that they're, you can convert them to resectability. If you can't, well, then you just kind of continue with chemo, right? 
in these patients, if we knew from the get-go they were not resectable, we would do definitive chemo radiation and hope we could cure them and then do consolidation with Dervalumab, which has you know proven overall survival benefit. So if you're saying they are borderline resectable, let's hope with upfront immune checkpoint inhibitor we can convert them to resectable. If you're not, then you've missed a possibility for definitive chemo radiation. You're missing out on some of that, that benefit for radiation. So we're still waiting to see kind of how that shakes out um, uh, in the long run, but uh, certainly um, patients that, that probably are, are, would, are best served by a multidisciplinary tumor board to talk about these things um, and, and some individualization of care, which we always try to do. Okay, well, thank you for listening. You can follow me on the app, formerly known as X, at PharmDNIP. You can follow me on uh, pretty much all the social media platforms at UncleFarmPod for all the podcasts there. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.